how do you eliminate the need for the person, but then also have the staffing and the education piece so you can take care of your customer in a really effective way and also offer really great things that are not wildly expensive. Hi, this is Neil, and it's time for a special bonus edition of Cannabis Daily. On November the 3rd, over 400 industry leaders, investors, and policymakers gathered at the New York Academy of Medicine to discuss the future of the New York cannabis market. Here is one of the panels at that event. By the way, tickets are now on sale for the 2023 conference in October next year. Get them now at CannabisNewYork.live. This panel's called High Society, Cannabis in Fine Dining, Fashion and Real Estate in New York City. I love the concept of cannabis hospitality. Your girl loves a dinner party. If you haven't any, you know where to send an invite. Please bring up Willie Mack, co-founder and CEO of Frank White, who'll be moderating a panel with Matthew Mazuka, creative director and brand strategist, Jordan Andino, chef and restaurateur of Fork Knife, and Mike Wilson, CEO and founder of the Tenica Group. Welcome, gentlemen. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everybody doing? It's been a beautiful day. Welcome to New York and cannabis. We talk about weed. So I'm Willie. I'm Willie Mack. I'm co-founder and CEO of Frank White and Think Big. Spent 20 years in global marketing communications. Really excited today to have this fine gentleman on the panel with us today to talk about cannabis and sort of fine dining, real estate, and all the fun things that's going to happen in New York. Quickly, my background is just in marketing and branding. I'm on the board of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, and I'm excited here to kind of get these guys started up. So I'm going to just have everybody do a quick intro, and then we'll dive in. So Jordan, I mean, Jordan, why don't you start? Hi, everyone. My name is um, Chef Jordan Andino. I am a chef here in New York City. Very quick background. I was born in Toronto, lived there 10 years. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, we got some Canadians in here. Uh, and then moved to LA, was there for 10 years. I've been here for the past 13 years. I own um, four restaurants in uh, throughout the country, uh, three in this area, one in Chicago, and one actually... Funny enough, one is opening in two weeks. So if you're all in the West Village, it's called Carriage House. Sorry, I shouldn't have plug. And really, the reason why I'm here is because I have a, I have a true um, passion for cannabis. And I was fortunate enough to explore this realm of doing high-end fine dining, tasting course out menus and events um, in 2017 and 2018. That's where Willie and I first linked up. Now I'm here to help give any insight into kind of you know how cannabis is going to be involved in hospitality here in New York. So thanks for having me. Mike? Yeah, um, Mike Wilson, uh, founder and CEO of Temeca Group. I uh, founded the company uh, 31 years ago. We have uh, do retail build-outs. We've done about 7,000 uh, retail stores in every mall in America, and uh, we did a lot of jewelry stores in that journey. And when I saw cannabis come up uh, six years ago, seven years ago now, um, I got very fortunate. We're Southern California-based. I got in with a company called Stizzy, uh, built their DTLA store, built all of them from there. And then we do uh, cookies, knocks. We've got about 60 brands we build across the United States. We've done just under about 400 dispensaries. So I uh, really love the space and excited about it. So, Hey, everyone. I'm Matthew Mazuka. I'm the um, former creative director for Barney's New York. During my time there, uh, we opened up the first of its kind luxury cannabis space in our Beverly Hills store, uh, which is really exciting and interesting, especially putting it adjacent to all our other luxury categories. Through that process, there was like a lot of great findings in terms of customer behavior, relationships to brands and to the community. And from that, I'm doing creative consulting and brand strategy within cannabis and within fashion and retail. Thank you. So, you know, we were talking the other day, I, I've been in California for nine years. Most of my life was in New York doing 
fashion, luxury, all that fun stuff. And seeing how the cannabis culture has expanded from, you know, the stoner culture to now we're getting brands and real brands and conversations and all those things. You know, I want to talk a little bit about how we see New York specifically going to turn cannabis on its head. I mean, I think the creativity is going to come from the city and the state around fine dining, around experiences. What do you all, how do you all think about the customer experience and how that's going to sort of evolve, how it has evolved and will continue to evolve as we look at more customers that have, you know, more disposable income and want a more bespoke and customized experience? Matt, let's start with you. What I think is interesting is twofold. I think main thing was between Beverly Hills and here is that uh, in New York City, you're going to have to get people out of their homes and into these spaces. So the practices that you have here for retail are much different than you have in other places uh, where people have to go out and they're out in their day and they're going to be trafficking retail. So for stores to exist here, you really have to be lighting a match constantly to keep your customers engaged. And I think what's exciting is since retail has really hit the bottom in New York City, that it becomes an opportunity to bring customers is with beyond the experience of buying cannabis, which is a huge, hugely uh, exciting for the customer. But the education piece is really strong here and getting the customer engaged in terms of understanding what the product is. Um, when we opened up our shop, uh, most of the customers were new customers. And maybe that is because it's within the luxury space versus the way people who are familiar with cannabis normally engage with it. So education is super, a super high key piece. And the other thing was the adjacencies of it. Like, you know, when we had our shop, it was, you had a restaurant and you had a full retail experience. I think that is um, kind of what is exciting for New York where customers come in. They're not only buying flour, they're experiencing artisan craft. And then there's also a whole other components like fine dining and other activations where you're learning about the product and it's not just solely to buy flour. And Mike, from your point of view, as a customer experience from a design standpoint, from a real estate, urban planning, architecture point of view, how are you looking at some of the trends that are happening in that space? You know, obviously in New York, rents are expensive, you know, so the fact of being in an efficient space, you know, in California, sometimes they get a little big and, you know, here the rents are a lot more expensive. And I think the other thing that's changed, you know, five years ago, lines were cool. You know, th that was a, sense, a success that you have that. Now it's about efficiencies. The, the technology is amazing compared to what it was five, six years ago. And I think the other thing is express windows, getting the interaction, get the customers in and out. And as as uh, we were just talking about, is I also believe lift and learn technologies and some of the touch screens for educational purposes. So, what is the what, hold on, for those who don't know, what's lift and learn technology? So, basically, when you go in the store, you could walk up to a flower table, you pick up that, and it brings up that product and it talks about, you know, sativa versus indica, you know, all the different aspirations with regards to that. Uh, edibles, you know, and how much you, you, you take, you know, some of those educational people. It, uh, items that I think is very helpful on your first come customers. Now, as time goes on, you know the product, you want to get in and get out. That's where the express windows come. So, Jordan, when we first met, we were doing an amazing dinner at the like, Chateau Marmont in LA. One of the things that was I loved about your dinner was, speaking of edibles, is the idea that consumers were allowed to self-select sort of, you know, a lot of the sauces and things on the side were, you know, you can add more. CJ and I were both like, give us the heaviest dose you have because we're heavy smokers. I don't want this light stuff. Give me some real stuff. But so much of like people's experience of cannabis is really personal and in a fine dining space. So much of that experience is, you know, the coursing and the food and the whole thing. Take us through sort of how you look at that and how you infuse that into the way you see New York expanding. Yeah. So the, the really the way I look at it and the, my ethos to it is you, you don't have to just dose food and just to get high. You, you can do it and elevate your experience similar to having two or three glasses of wine and a cocktail to start. So I think really what, what I see when, with what's happening and the shift in, in coming over here to New York is it's opportunity. 
And the opportunity that I see is for chefs and creatives alike to start finding the nuances in consuming in, in consuming cannabis and understanding that it's not all just like all or nothing. It's not zero to a hundred. You can live in this in between that allows you to enjoy and be cognizant and aware without pretty much forgetting what you're doing or or missing out on the the best moments of whatever you're trying to experience. So for me, the way I'm the way I've always looked at cannabis and infusing it is you really it's twofold. One, you want to be able to consume the food and and think that you are at a Michelin star restaurant. You're at a coursed out place that focuses on hospitality above and beyond everything. And then you can then start incorporating the pairing of cannabis. Second is really this is an opportunity for people and like chefs alike and creatives to start thinking about ways to consume and present cannabis in, in, in ways that are beyond the tradition of just smoking vapes and flour and, and, and whatnot. So I think I'm, I'm really excited and, and that's part of the passion as to why I'm here speaking on this today. So speaking of nuance, I think one of the things that so many consumers sort of, I think the industry sometimes lacks is this sort of idea that, oh, well, we have this product and this is the only way to do things. I think one of the things, Matt, when, we, when, I, went to the, when I went to Barney's and went to your store, it was beautiful to see the selection of products. There were some really expensive rolling papers that I was not able to afford. I think they were sold out, <laughs> as well as just a nice sort of curation. So take us through the idea of how, do you, how did you look, think about that? And as we think about consumers, you know, we, there's a, the idea of high-low. I want to, you know, expensive jackets and maybe a, a, a great, like, concert tee. How do you bring, how do you see the cannabis space, especially in New York, where the culture clash and the way we all intermingle is so key here? How do you think that's going to really play itself out? So it's going to jump around a little bit, but I think, you know, with Barney's had the luxury of being a luxury retailer. So like, you know, it didn't make, it wasn't completely insane to have something that was a $5,000 box of rolling papers. But the key takeaway for customers, even shopping at a higher price point, we're buying things under a hundred dollars. And, you know, we did have a flower component. It was done with Scott Campbell and Bebo and, you know, that piece also that had the celebrity piece to it. And, and I will say, as an umbrella, there's a, a bit of pretense to the whole thing, where I think it did isolate and kind of go against the ethos of cannabis. And I think that was one of my key takeaways, where you have to be careful how you straddle this, because you don't want to come off like pretentious, um, for lack of another word. So, you know, you have to have this rage, and there has to be this world of discovery. And um, I think elevating the whole world of cannabis in retail, especially for New Yorkers who are exposed to so many things, is super important. I think functionality of product is super important aesthetics of product aesthetics of packaging the technology high touch moments the education piece i mean from who our customer was it was a predominantly female-based customer uh first-time smoker so you have to deal with it in a totally different way that's the idea that new york city is going to be like you know everyone smokes weed and it's really just not the case so people are going to come in wanting to be treated uh like a concierge and kind of understanding so how do you eliminate the need for the person, but then also have the staffing and the education piece so you can take care of your customer in a really effective way and also offer really great things that are not wildly expensive and really, you know, exciting luxury things that people buy because, you know, it's fun to buy something expensive, you know. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, and just to add on to that, Matt, I, I think it's very important to understand the educational piece, but not necessarily education from the, the shop to the buyer, but actually from the owners of the shop to the employees. And, and, you know, that education and how we disseminate information based on how high you can get, what's the consumption level, the amount of milligrams that, that you that you need or that you should have, depending on where you're at in your own mental space, I think is, is very important because as a chef, I'm looking at it as this, it's we're consuming 
So regardless of what you're consuming and what happens, it's it should be treated as something that I take seriously in my restaurants, which is the training of my staff to ensure the, that that the guests have the best time and are almost have their hand held throughout it. So I so I think that you're right that um, education on various levels is very important and key in terms of the integration into the New York scene. I also think too, and this goes back to even how these stores are designed and built out, is that I would say your staffing for retail is probably the most important. You keep, you develop these brands, you want to open up shops, you want to keep it small and tight. You don't want to have this thing where you have too many employees, where things are distributed and the messaging is diluted. You want to have a small, concise uh, set of employees who represent the brand, who are in it for the long haul, incentivize them, give them buoyancy to grow, because this is such a complicated kind of place to sell and create customer loyalty that you need to for them to know that when they go to this place, this is where they get, when they recommend people to go, this is what they're going to pass on to somebody else. It's a, it's very, very interesting, especially how you rethink not only what retail looks like, but um, the structure and infrastructure of retail. Mike, I'm going to get two points. And, and just to add to that, you know, I, I, great points. Uh, also, some of our customers is knowing who your customer is. You know, we've got like Ash Society in Orange County that they, uh, women, they, they, women and elderly. They just know, and that's their space. They've done very, very well. They just, you know, formulate their plan on that, and that's what they do. But uh, having the education with those blood tenders and, and having that warm feel when you walk in there that they feel really good coming in there, it's just it's amazing. You know, you just see it. They're much more relaxed because a lot of times the first couple people coming in there, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what indica and sativa, right. what the heck Everyone's is that? just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, or kind of afraid, like, yeah. can I touch it? It's okay. It's just right. <laughs> Lots of baggies and man, man, packages, so. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. And, and that leads into the sort of how do, you know, we have a issue, we have a question issue in New York and we have it in, Calif we have it in California, which is the non-regulated dispensaries and shops, the retail stores that are opening up and consumers not knowing. I have friends like, I was in New York, how about weed? I'm like, yeah, but that's actually not legal. And they're like, well, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, uh, it's, it's, I know it's complicated. How do we... What would you say? Or good. Or good, exactly. Or too strong. Or, you know, I think an edible and it was too strong. You know, so how do we look at from a design, a communication, a standpoint? How do how, how do you also look at that challenge, and how do we how do we work against that? Like, let's start with you because you're the one building all the stores. So you know, I, I think in California we have the same problem. You know, and, and it's everybody working together to eliminate it. You can't have both. And the problem in California, they both exist. And it's just, it makes it for a very, very tough, challenging. And I think, you know, with the Dazzy things that we're doing, getting involved with right now, you have to have a stopping point. It cannot coexist. And that's very important to be able to get these, you know, stores open, operational, profitable, and get them going. Otherwise, you're, you're an uphill battle. You'll never overcome that. All right. To answer your question, I want to pose a question to the, the group here. How many of you have here have eaten at a restaurant or establishment in New York City? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have eaten there because you've seen an A from the Department of Health and you're like, oh, you know what? That A is going to make me want to eat there. Raise your hand. How many of those places actually deserve that A? <laughs> right? So, so my, my point being is I, I think you're always going to have to, exactly what you said, you're always going to have to have that uphill battle, but I think it does come with some sort of government support and standardization yes. across the board when we implement this. Yes. So what that means is I think Personally, I actually think the Department of Health, I believe that that's who is doing it. The Department of Health needs to start get these guidelines and getting this ready because the more that we standardize this and understand at least a baseline of what you should sell, how you should sell it, the efficacy of everything, then you're able to at least have some sort of standard. Right. Because, but then from there, that's really where the marketing, the branding, and the pretty much the ethics of and the integrity of the sellers 
that's where that's going to come into play and that's where i believe that the open the free market is going to is going to work its magic the the people who have the best branding and the best product are eventually going to be the ones that have the more amount of franchises or units throughout the city i think also it's also a public health issue because if you have people who are entering the space for the first time tourists millions of tourists come to the city and come to the state every year and they go to some place that maybe isn't regulated they take a product they have a bad experience hopefully nothing too insane they now turned off we everybody has an experience of someone in their family or friends or personally who you know took an edible or brownie and ended up zoned out for way too long and not sure what's going on and it, some people still like i won't eat edibles i won't take edibles because i don't like the experience so that just sort of turns them off of the industry and i think that's another er aspect that we have to look at how do we educate consumers to recognize you know, we always say you can take a smaller dose you can always take more give yourself some time and recognize that your body everyone's body chemistry is different metabolism is different and also tolerance is different and being able to have that be part of the standardization part of the conversation part of the education and also from a design point of view part of design and when we talked previously you know there'll be situations where there are people who come to this come to go to go to stores they know what they want i'm coming in i want the strain blah 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 the highest thc level a lot of people coming in caregivers coming in for their families and friends helping try to understand what they need to do and having those conversations and then people who are a little bit in the gray area between i don't know but i heard about something i tried this you know what do you what how, is this working this is not work you know, Matt, we talked about information design and being able to use that from a brand standpoint. I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, how did you guys deal with that and how do you see that being done in other, in other jurisdictions? Like the information design? Yeah. I mean, I think we failed. I think that because of the main thing was you were having sales staff. No, where we succeeded was Scott Campbell had a space and we kind of did this gorilla and I guess I can't get in trouble now, but we were selling weed in 90210, not directly out of our store. We did a delivery where you would buy the weed in the store but you'd pick it up at Saks. So you buy it from the, you pick it up at the retailer next door. More like a mom would come in and she would buy, buy some off-white pair of sneakers for a kid and then she would order the weed and be delivered to Mr. Chow's and then she would get the weed and the kids knew the parents were getting the weed. But uh, the biggest thing was the Scott Campbell Bebo, and I don't even know if that company still exists anymore because it, you know, I love that, but also I think a lot of the stuff where it has to be careful that people do need to be in the long haul, can't be a cash grab, can't be an investment pool for your friends, we're going to build this up and then I'm going to sell, you know, it has to be something for the long haul. But what he did have was he had great staffing and, you know, he didn't make any money off of that, but the marketing being a connect to it was really great for him. But he had someone there every day who talked through everything. And that really meant a lot. Once we got into the hardware piece, our staff could not speak to anything. They didn't know what anything was. And, but the people who had, had their own representation within the store, selling their own product and really making customer aware of it. That was key. I think we've talked about CJ and I talked about just before, this menu book thing is a huge problem. And it's just an example of where there's really not being consideration into the function of these stores where it's like, if I go into, even if I go into a dispensary and I'm very familiar with cannabis, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And it gets even more confusing for me. And I think that those kind of things, like how those education pieces are really need to come up with this whole process to be successful. And Mike, I mean, you've been dealing with thousands of dispensaries and stores. How have you, what have you seen that works and doesn't work? What, what works and doesn't work from an information design standpoint, as you think about stores and store design? You know, it, it, it's, you know, obviously the technology that we talked about having those information pieces, having educated and trained, you know, about tenders doing their job. And then, like I say, is just displaying the product in a good way that they could do it and then messaging and things. You know, you see a lot more and more. The very beginning when we're in this, uh, you know, a lot of the new shop owners didn't want to give shop and shops. So 
you know, we talked about with you know, Barney's, Macy's, they all have these shopping shops. A lot of people didn't want to give that real estate because it's my brand, it's my brand. And now they're starting to realize that it's okay to have a shopping shop in your brand. You can sell the real estate, you can kind of get some revenue and it gives them the burden to educate on their products as well. So I think that's a, a migration you see happening lately through the brands. And in terms of retail too, I think actually Barney's never had the shopping shop and that was too, that's where Barney's is now. It's like, I think to the deficit, you have all this real estate, leasing it out is not a bad thing, but finding the right partners is the most important thing. So, you know, if stores, if people have a, a small cannabis concept and they find a really great person who has the real estate plus the support and backing and infrastructure and followers and messaging and all that, then that's a home run. And that's kind of the, the dream things to find is, you know, someone who represents the same thing. And I think that that's even kind of what we need to see in New York in general is like these cannabis spaces can be hubs for all retail, meaning like instead of you trying to be adjacent to cannabis brand to all these other things, you be the thing that people want to be adjacent to also. You know, we have so much empty, empty real estate here. It only makes sense that like these stores are not going to be able to touch cannabis, but they can be near it and then they can partner on it and do stuff like that. So hopefully that's kind of what we're going to see in terms of landscape and retail because right now it's a ghost town. Yeah. And, and you know, to piggyback off that, I think really the market is going to correct itself by allowing what, like I said earlier, opportunity. So that's where weed maps came along, right? So now there's at least some sort of filter, the Yelp of weed. If And, and so I'm assuming that there's going to be more people coming out to try to filter through what can and cannot be the, or, or what will and will not be the good like dispensaries, the good stores, the good product. And I, you know, it's, it's going to be tough because it's the information piece and it's also who can be trusted to sell the, the, the best stuff. And really there's not, there's no one, there's no barrier to entry to, to, to get into Canada. So it's, it's kind of, like I said, I think people have to just work on their own business plan and understand that you are the, are the people that are going to really take this to the next level and it's it's up to your integrity and the product that you want to put forth that'll eventually kind of discern where you land on whether or not people are going to keep coming back to you or if you're kind of going to fade away exactly you know one of the things that i'm really excited about 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 being in new york and i used to get these jokes dinner parties you know i was in california and you know after being a few years being in the industry someone's like dinner party so you're in cannabis yes so what is cbd I'm like oh God, i had this conversation <laughs> It's like going it's like going backwards and i feel like i was from the future i'm like just wait one day you'll have beverages and wine and like topicals and creams one of the things i'm most excited about about new york is just the diversity of ideas and creativity here and cannabis being such a massive tool for creativity and frank white's and other things we talk about how do we celebrate cannabis as a tool for creativity how do we talk about cannabis as sort of the ultimate ghost writer for so much culture and things that have happened the idea that there's going to be all these new brands and new ideas and new stories that's going to be told is one of the things that excites me most about New York. Seeing all these social equity applicants and being able to sort of, and all the sort of the diversity of people be able to tell their stories and create new brands and fuse fashion and technology and music and art and all these things together. What are some of the things that you guys are excited about about the New York industry and about being here, being part of it? Jordan, let's start with you. Get out of the line. Sure. Uh, I'll be. I'm really excited to start doing like revamping my dinner series again, which I, which I discontinued in, in 2018. Just tell I got, us, tell, for those who don't know, tell us about the dinner Oh, sorry. Series. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, what I'm excited about is the ability to cook and infuse cannabis without just making a dinner and then pouring some oil on it and saying, here, this is infused. For me as, as a chef, I like the, and enjoy the challenge of trying to keep the, 
the integrity of the dish and whatever I'm making and ensuring that as people consume this, they're going to get as high as they want to be depending on the, their consumption. Now, what I'm referring to is I, prior to this, which I'm going to restart and I've already been planning, yes. is, uh, is the, it's called the 420 Dinner Series. So I did four courses on the 20th of every month and I kind of just very, I would call it like guerrilla style, just tried to figure out what places could have me and what would be willing to take that risk. But now something like this is going to, now that it's legal, I'll be able to go into people's homes, into the large kind of big big venues that, that will allow me to do so and actually feed people and dose people in a way that I believe will create a, another level of cannabis consumption that is more on the refined fine dining side that people typically didn't get, or maybe if you did get, would get dosed too much. So I think, well, like I said earlier too, in terms of the nuances of that, that's something that I'm going to concentrate on. And that's something that I'm excited because at this point now, I think I've fed about 2000 people and dosed that, that many throughout my dinners. But now I just can't wait to see how this can really grow and be paired with food and wine and music and ambiance. Because I, I, I personally believe there's going to come a time where, yes, you have your cocktail list. Here's your wine list. Also, here's your CBD and THC Yes. THC oil list that you can infuse as well and pair with your dinner to help elevate or, you know, however you want to consume the, the cannabis um, during your food. Michael, what are you excited about? You know, it's New York. It's retail. I mean, come on, you know, That's in, in, you know, working with the brands for 30 years, you know, we'd always come here to get inspiration or design ideas, walk through Barney, see what they're doing, you know, just kind of go through everything because let's be real. It, this is where the bar set. And I think just being involved with that, you know, we, we, when we would get a brand and we put them on, you know, Fifth Avenue or put them over on Times Square, the the face, you know, it's like I'm here, I got it, and just to be involved with that and be in New York, I, I'm just I couldn't be more thrilled. And can you talk about some of the things you're doing with Dazzney and the camp program? Is that so? Dazzney, I mean, we're we're one of the design builds, so we're pretty excited about that. You know, obviously, there's a lot of questions still going on and stuff, but we're you know super excited about being part of it and uh, looking forward to you know getting some hammers going and get some stores built. There you go, Matthew. Uh, I think out of the, the landscape thing, I think the community outreach piece is super exciting and creative direction really should be always kind of embracing that piece of it and um, how it connects back to the store and how philanthropy can kind of be tied to that in terms of like what you do in the store and how that contributes back to things and the cycle you can create with it. Uh, and I think, you know, the education piece, I think just from my own frustration with it is something that I'm super personally excited about tackling because it just comes down to maybe just some, just some good solid art direction and just like it's like not that hard to solve the problem it just needs to be kind of figured out so you create these great experiences that we're talking about and i am excited to see i think one of the biggest things that we always hoped especially being adjacent to a restaurant was like how do you create that things that really is i think one of the key connections to make cannabis really really more literally digestible to people and you know i think those are really exciting moments uh and one other point i just want to bring up too is like you know the it was interesting talking about the medical weed and how people under 18, you know, having that being accessible because you're always trying to market. I think that the marketing right now and the way things look, they actually look like things are geared towards children. And I think what would be interesting is to make an adult version of this category as well. That's not towards children and still have something where people grow up and they want to do it. And obviously kids are going to do what they do. Uh, and that's always going to be a thing, but I think it's a responsibility to kind of create environments and experiences and language and aesthetics that reflect that this is actually for adults and how do you really kind of create that world. But then also Embrace, that was a really fascinating talk about the medical component of that and how we design stores and fast track people with medical licenses and what does that design look like and not necessarily something I would have thought about. So Nice. We're going to open up to any questions from the audience. Anybody have any questions? I don't know if we're doing this, but I figured we got a few minutes left before we wrap up. And if anybody had any questions, let us raise your hand. 
in the back right. Hi, uh, I'm, I'm from uh, Canada, originally Toronto. And uh, when, when legalization was just about to happen, all these kind of faux legal dispensaries popped up for the last kind of year, year and a half, and uh, really kind of dominated the, the, the marketplace there. When things became legal, they all just kind of like withered and died and, and fell, off the, fell off the map. Why do you, how do you think we can get that to happen in places like New York and, and uh, LA, where these semi-legal or just straight up illegal dispensaries are a huge part of the, of the market? How do you think we can, we can get rid of those? Yeah, so um, I, I, honestly, I think the answer just comes from government regulation because it's the same thing as when sketchy restaurants and pop-ups and, and like vendors open up selling food or drink or juices. So in, in, in this case, there, there's going to come a time when, uh, I hope it's soon because I'm literally opening a restaurant right now and all, all the permitting and red tape is just taking months and like the government's backed up. But I'm hoping once with, with more training and a reinvestment into this, that we'll be able to standardize it, like I said, and, and make sure everything is copacetic across like the, the quality. But also once vendors start having to worry about getting the, the, the base standard of whatever the DOH sets, it's it's people will just fall off and, and they'll wither and die because they don't have the wherewithal or at times the understanding of how to keep up with some of those government regulations. It's already hard enough for food to keep to keep food between 40 degrees and 141 degrees Fahrenheit. Like add just a couple of more of those kind of hurdles and impediments to a normal dealer who's just trying to make a hustle buck. They're not going to be able to keep up with that. So I think the market will correct itself or like the, yeah, the market will correct itself in terms of that. But I, I just I do think it starts with government regulation. Yeah. And, the, and the other part of that is from conversations I've we've I've had with some of the state. Like, it's also education. Like they have there has to be this education to the state from the state to consumers who, that you know. Could you imagine going into a bar and being like, my friend made this moonshine in the back, and I'm just going to go drink this versus like I got over this like you know I, one of the things I remember in California when we when we transitioned when when the gray market transitioned to the legacy market to the legal market the testing getting testing seeing how unsafe some of the products we were taking was a shock to all of us. And I was like, wow, I've been smoking a lot of contaminated material for the last 20 years, but now it's getting better. I want to thank you all for coming and being part of this. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for your questions. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for having us. Now you can secure your seat at next year's event right this second. It's scheduled for the 4th of October, 2023. Tickets are on sale at cannabisnewyork.live. You'll find the link in the show notes.